The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is a closer look with Arthur Levitt. Arthur Levitt is a former chairman of the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, a Bloomberg LP board member, a senior advisor to the Promontory Financial Group, and a policy advisor to Goldman Sachs. An avid entrepreneur, Richard Sarkis, has launched and run numerous businesses and most recently was an associate partner at McKinsey & Company, specializing in financial services. In 2013, he co-founded Reonomy, a commercial real estate data and analytics platform that he hopes will democratize the world of commercial real estate data, bringing commercial real estate into the 21st century in line with other capital markets. Reonomy launched its first platform in New York City and in 2017, they launched a second nationwide platform. He joins me now for a closer look. You consider the disruption Reonomy brings to the commercial real estate industry is in transparency and the democratizing of data. Rich, what does this actually mean? Well, if you look at commercial real estate, it's um, by all intents and purposes, the largest asset class in the US. And yet it's been one where it, you've had asymmetric information advantage. And it's that information, that insight, knowing that a building is a good site for redevelopment or that a building is listed for sale or maybe under leveraged, that type of insight and information has basically been held in the minds of a few. And trading on that information has been how folks have made money. Uh, but increasingly, we're seeing that the data and the information that's available in either the public domain or in the private domain through third-party uh, vendors can be used and harnessed to help inform those decisions. And as such, you're giving access to a much wider berth and wider population of folks to help trade on that information. Who would be your principal customer? Um, so when we first started, we essentially had three main um, stakeholders or food groups that we catered to. On the one side, we had those on the equity side of the transaction. So those are the large institutional investors, developers, some hedge funds, private equity that are essentially buying buildings or portfolios of assets. On the other side of that trade, you have folks on the debt side who are looking to secure the mortgage or refinance a property. Those are big banks like Chase, Wells Fargo, et cetera. And then the third big group are the ones who are trying to broker those transactions, so the brokerage firms, large firms like a CBRE, a Newmark Knight Frank, uh, a JLL. Uh, in a sense, they view us uh, like the Bloomberg for buildings, where we cover the information on an asset by asset, a building by building level, the same way you'd go to Bloomberg to get information about a company before trading that stock. But how do they pay you for that information? Um, well, so we've got a pretty wide suite of products. Uh, on, on one end of the spectrum, we've got an easy-to-use, lightweight web application. So it's almost like Zillow, if you know that, for uh, yes. residential. So it's the Zillow for commercial real estate, where they pay us a monthly fee. 
in, ac in exchange for access to our website. And so they can search a building, they can search a market, a, a specific asset type. And so that's a recurring monthly fee that they pay us, uh, ranging from anywhere from 40 bucks a month to several hundred dollars a month, depending on the features and the data that they have. And then we've got some larger clients, so the banks, the insurance firms, brokerage firms, that actually not only buy the data from us, and that's volume-based, based on how much data they're licensing on an ongoing basis, they're also uh, leveraging our core applications and our algorithms to help cleanse and enrich their own data. Which is your principal market, the first or the second and larger institutional group that you've just described? Great question. So when we started, we only had one. And, and, and uh, as you said in the intro, we were only focused on New York City and we had that one uh, Zillow-esque product, if you will. Uh, and so that was everything we had. And we didn't know that we had a second market, so to speak, until we stumbled on it, until we realized or we were pulled, frankly, by our clients to say, hey, this stuff that you've developed and that has enabled you to scale that product that all our brokers, our lenders, our loan originators use, uh, that same technology would be very useful to us for our own data. Would you be willing to make it available to us as a product? And that's when we, uh, about 12, 18 months ago, realized that there was a big there there. And that, since then, has really taken off as a, a huge uh, area of growth for us. So they're roughly, at this point, probably about 50-50. They're equal. Uh, and both are growing rapidly. But the, the adoption on the enterprise side has, has certainly been uh, very acute in the last 12 months or so. How does your approach to data differ from traditional processes? Uh, so traditionally in this space, and you've got a few uh, large publicly traded legacy incumbents that have collected the data that, again, has resided in, in the broker's heads, if you will, or, or, or the lenders, because they're the ones doing the transactions. They collected that data the quote-unquote old-fashioned way. They had call centers full of people, and they still do to this day, calling the brokers, calling the landlords, calling the lenders, getting information about a transaction inputting it into a database, and then uh, selling it back to the people, ironically, who gave them the data to begin with. Uh, and so if that is a human-driven approach, we have a diametrically opposed business model that leverages machines, algorithms, cloud computing to gather and cleanse that data. So it's pretty diametrically opposed to what's been out there in the past. Property ownership is often obscured by opaque LLCs. How do you cut through this and get information? Yes, that's one of the, uh, and, and to me, as somebody who was not a commercial real estate insider when I started this company, that was somewhat counterintuitive that here you've got these massive buildings, and yet it was very difficult for folks to actually ascertain who owns them because, you know, 123 Main Street would be owned by 123 Main Street LLC. That doesn't really tell you much as a potential equity player or, or a debt player uh, who's behind that, and importantly, what else they own and might be exposed to. So what we do is we have these algorithms that collect all the data that's out there in the public domain, mortgage filings, violations, permits, uh, tax filings, and they take all that data and our machines and our algorithms are able to stitch all those data points together and follow the digital breadcrumbs, if you will, uh, to go from one LLC to the next and ultimately to the parent companies and the principles associated with them. It's a series of rules, if you will, that do that. Rich, in the beginning, why was commercial real estate, the industry that had particular interest for you as being ready for disruption. Where did the idea come from? 
so my co-founder and I met or were introduced actually by one of the venture capitalists that I had known earlier in my career as an entrepreneur. And I was really struck by three things. One is the sheer size of the asset class. Uh, again, it's the largest asset class in the U.S., about $15 trillion of value at stake on the debt and equity side. I was also struck by the fact that there was a lot of inefficiencies and pain points where people weren't able to collect or analyze data in a way that they were used to in other areas of capital markets and trading securities and derivatives, et cetera. And last but not least, I was very excited by the fact that there hadn't really been much technological innovation, if at all, in this space. So I thought taking those three things together uh, were a, a recipe for a potentially very large uh, outcome and a, and, a, and a valuable company. Well, I can see where this data would be extremely valuable. I think people in our audience would like to know whether we're talking about a niche set of big players or whether there's diversity in terms of your customers and how they use Reonomy. Uh, there's very wide diversity. So on one end of the spectrum, we've got lightweight web application tools like a Zillow, and they are used from anyone from core real estate professionals that you'd expect to be users like brokers, lenders, uh, those loan originators, developers, but also anywhere from a roofer, contractor, an HVAC installer, what we have, what we call storm chasers, uh, which is very topical with uh, Hurricane Michael, folks who literally want to follow the path of a storm and find every single uh, building of a certain size within that path so that they can contact the owners of those buildings, get in touch with them, and help them with the repairs post-storm. Uh, so it's a very wide array uh, of users, some of which are, are relatively unexpected. I certainly didn't uh, you know, think that I was going to be building Reonomy for storm chasers when I started the company six years ago, but we've seen uh, a very wide adoption across a wide berth of, uh, of users. Tell me more about that. Are you suggesting that after the storm, investors went to your site and then requested information on specifically which homes were damaged and which parts of where the storm hit? Exactly. So they used what's called our interactive map feature where they're able to overlay the path of, uh, of a storm. And they do this not just with the major hurricanes, but hailstorms throughout the Midwest. And they basically want to then layer on every single uh, rental building uh, of a certain size so that they can get in touch with uh, those building owners. They, those people work with the insurance companies and can conduct repairs on behalf uh, of those uh, insurance companies. So there's obviously great benefits for the community. Uh, and up until Reonomy, they didn't really have a way of doing that at scale. They would literally be driving around looking for properties with damage, trying to figure out, well, how am I going to find out who owns this building? In some cases, almost staking them out for hours on end uh, before they can get in touch with somebody and, and try to uh, get to repair their property. Who are your largest clients now? So our largest clients range from large brokerage firms uh, like a CBRE, a Cushman Wakefield, a Newmark, uh, to large lenders like Chase. And then we even have other occupiers like a WeWork is a very large uh, client of ours. Uh, and, they, and they use a lot of our data to help inform some of their decision-making processes. What kind of information can you provide a potential real estate investor? For example, how could you help me in identifying properties that are likely to sell or in need of being refinanced. Yeah, and I think that's sort of the holy grail as to how do I get the predictive analytics to know that something's an opportunity before everybody else does. I'll give you one very topical example. Everybody's talking about these opportunity zones. 
that were created uh, latter half of uh, latter part of last year about these uh, zones that if you invest as a developer you'll get some pretty substantial tax breaks. The problem is that it's very difficult to actually find which properties lie within those uh, with the, within those opportunity zones and then get in touch with the owners and developers to try and do an assemblage or build something. So with our platform, you're actually able to overlay the opportunity zones uh, to the, the actual assets. And as a developer, you'd then be able to contact the owner of, of the current site and make an offer and then try and build something over there and get the huge tax breaks that are associated with that. And then ultimately do what they're designed to, which is spur development and economic growth within those regions. Is this going to put brokers out of out of jobs? Well, it's funny you say that. When I first started, I thought that the brokers would sort of uh, rebel against me, that they were going to feel that there was going to be a disintermediation uh, of, of their job, right? Because if all the uh, lenders have it on the one hand and all the developers have access to all this data on the other, what good is a broker going to be, so to speak? What I found is the polar opposite is that brokers don't want to just take money because they're toll takers and they just have to be there. They want to add value to their existing clients. They want to find new prospective clients and they want to establish a true trust-based partnership with those users. And so they are using Reonomy now to preemptively and proactively find the right development sites for their developer uh, clients and find opportunities. So we've actually seen some of the strongest adoption uh, of Reonomy with the brokerage community. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Rich, will you innovate in-house only, or are you looking for acquisitions? Well, primarily to date, we've really done a lot of our, or most, or if not all of our R&D and our development in-house, and we've developed our own proprietary algor algorithms and the data engine. But as we've now started to scale and become a more uh, prevalent uh, data platform nationwide, we are starting to look at making uh, strategic acquisitions, either as potential channel partners or some uh, smaller uh, data players in certain specific niche markets or areas. Is there uh, a, any human customer service at Reonomy? Absolutely, that's a big part of what we do. We're huge believers in, in having the machines do the grunt work and the manually and, and crunching the numbers and, and uh, running the algorithms. But that, just as important as that is having that human touch, that human presence. And so we've got a world-class, what we call our client success team that is dedicated to the success of our clients. Each one of our users, whether they're John Doe developer in Albuquerque, New Mexico, or Chase Manhattan Bank, uh, they have access to a dedicated person who's uh, in charge of ensuring that they're using the platform, that they have their questions answered. So there's a big human element from a CS perspective. You said that starting a company and scaling it are two very different things. And when you did start to scale, an expansion to Los Angeles proved to be more of a challenge than you expected. Did you find that any part of your business model needed to change? Absolutely, that was a big lesson learned because when we started in New York, 
we had one way of compiling the data. And when we took on additional capital from Bain Capital with a view to scale our platform nationwide, we naturally thought, well, we're going to do exactly what we did in, in New York in the second largest CRE market in the U.S., which is L.A. The issue is that the L.A. data ecosystem was completely different than New York, so it just simply didn't translate. And essentially, we had to go back to the drawing board and find a different business model or a different way to scale. How long did it take you to do the national launch? Well, in hindsight, I can almost chuckle and say, you know, it, it took uh, exponentially longer. It took almost three years to do uh, of real heavyweight R&D and developing uh, what is now a machine learning driven data engine capable of ingesting data across all 3000 plus counties in the U.S. Um, the reason I chuckle is because when I was first presenting my idea to Bain Capital uh, back in 2014, it was. I was telling them that it would take a quarter, maybe two at the uh, outset, uh, long shot, uh, to be able to scale it. And, and it proved to be um, anything but as straightforward as that. Recent data suggests that the majority of high growth startups fail due to premature scaling. Are you going to avoid this fate? Well, it's something that I'm very mindful of because uh, what happened um, when we were getting ready to scale and we were successfully launched in New York and looking to do L.A., I committed, frankly, the cardinal sin uh, of scaling before I was ready to. And what you just asked about, we started hiring folks. We even hired sales folks in L.A. before we had launched. And then when we saw that it wasn't going to work, we had to make the unfortunate decision to shut down that part of the business in order to be able to redevelop uh, a platform that was going to work. So now, having gone through that, it's something that I'm very mindful. I don't want to make that same mistake twice. What do you offer an enterprise client like WeWork, for example? What we offer is essentially two things. Uh, our platform enables them to weaponize their own data. WeWork is sitting on top of a treasure trove of uh, data that they're generating on all the spaces that they're leasing, buildings that they're buying, and even things that they're not transacting on and just looking at. We have an, a series of applications that allows them to normalize and stitch together all that data so that it becomes much more usable and informative to them. And the second thing is we can enrich that data with all the other data that we bring to bear across the properties that they're tracking and other properties and markets that they care about. Rich, how did you pick your board? Well, in some instances, the board picks you. So when our investors like Bain Capital, SoftBank, SAP uh, invest in us, they usually, as a uh, precondition of investing, will take a board seat. So that's why you need to vet your investors really well, because you're not just taking their money, you're really signing up to work side by side with them. And in other instances, uh, we've got independent board members who come from such companies as S&P and Vornado, who bring tremendous subject matter expertise and help from a business point of view uh, answer some of the hairier uh, business problems and questions that we have. Rich, disruption of the real estate industry has only just started. So what will the future bring? And when will contracts start moving to the blockchain? That's a great question and one that I get asked quite often. I'm a big proponent of crawling before you walk, before you run. Uh, I think blockchain has a lot of great uh, potential applications. I don't think that commercial real estate is in a position where it can necessarily unlock a lot of that value for the reason that a lot of the data right now is still very fragmented, even within a company. 
Uh, I think we're trying to help companies overcome that problem. And once they have nice, clean, normalized data, the blockchain is a great uh, way for them to uh, then have the transactions, have a great audit trail. Um, but I think there, there's a little bit of work that needs to be done in the coming year or two uh, to be able to get the industry in a place where it can really take advantage of what the blockchain has to offer. Is it easy to raise money now and is it tempting to overbuild the company? It is. And um, one VC that I respect a lot uh, said that, you know, most startups fear that they're going to die of famine, but a lot of them die of gluttony because they raise too much money. And when you have a lot of money in the bank, you feel compelled to spend it and then you overspend. And that can lead to some very bad decisions and spending gets out of hand. Uh, and next thing you know, uh, you know, you've raised at a high valuation, but you don't have the metrics to justify that. So it's something we've tried to be very mindful of. And from the time where we were trying to figure out how to scale our company from New York to national, it took us over three years. And we didn't raise a penny in between that time because we knew that our business wasn't ready to support that additional capital and allow us to scale. Now, you're tracking tech growth to find which market one should be considering investing in next. Where are the new tech hubs you've identified? Uh, so what we're seeing is a lot of activity in Southern California, LA certainly, and LA uh, over the past few years has a lot of well-publicized uh, tech activity with Facebook, uh, Google, coming into such markets as Santa Monica and Venice. What's interesting to see is that further migration uh, south is now starting to touch San Diego, and that's starting to be a very uh, fertile and, and um, big market from a tech growth perspective. Is the commercial real estate market in the western part of the country more attractive than New York right now? Right now it seems to be. The data suggests that LA is white hot. Uh, in some asset types in New York, you're seeing a bit of a, a, a slowdown. Others are, are, are still doing well. But L.A. and Southern California in particular uh, seems to be very uh, bullish right now from a uh, CRE investment perspective. You've also mentioned Philadelphia as a booming commercial market. Why? Yes. Well, what's interesting with Philadelphia, there's a lot of vacant land in Philadelphia that's ripe for development. So what you're seeing is a lot of uh, developers move in, uh, snap up some of that vacant land, ideally assemblages of vacant land that's uh, contiguous, and develop. Because what we're seeing is, uh, and in some cases, it's almost becoming a commuter city to New York, where some folks are, are living in Philadelphia and working in, in areas around there. And then it's also developing its own more robust economy. And there's a lot of opportunity to build and develop uh, from scratch over there, given the prevalence of vacant land. You've done a remarkable job, and it's a great story. Did you always set out to be your own boss, or did you see ideas that needed development, and that's how it happened? I've always been enamored with the notion of building something out of nothing. I went to a French high school growing up, and I remember when I was about eight or nine years old, the teacher was trying to explain to us what an artisan was. And the way she framed it is an artisan is somebody who takes great satisfaction and derives a sense of purpose from building something out of nothing, from seeing a finished, beautiful wood chair from a pile of twigs. So I've carried that analogy forward with me in my business career. And that's the part of being an entrepreneur uh, that I find very intoxicating and fulfilling. Reanimy isn't your first startup. What mistakes did you make in the past that helped you with this new venture? 
I've made a ton of mistakes, and I like to jo joke that I I've lost my hair as a result of the the stress that it can cause. Um, part of those mistakes is uh, being defensive and maybe not being egoless about the decision-making process and admitting that it's okay to make mistakes. And in fact, you invariably will make mistakes. It's how you react to those mistakes and how you're able to course correct that is going to make a company and you successful versus not making mistakes to begin with. Who told you that the idea would never work and why? Um, so we got quite a few rejections early on from VCs that said, look, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. A lot of folks in commercial real estate are making money hand over fist. Certain people are going to feel threatened, uh, which are all very good reasons. Uh, but I go back to the fact that it's just such a big asset class that is ripe for disruption that I felt very compelled and I had that courage of the conviction, so to speak, that there was a there there. And that's part of the folly, if you will, the madness of an entrepreneur is you've got to be a little bit crazy to persevere in the in the face of adversity or or data that suggests that uh, it can't be done. Rich, is the company profitable at this time? So we're growing very uh, robustly on the top line. In terms of profitability, we are not cash flow positive or profitable. Uh, we're choosing to reinvest all of our uh, dollars back in the company because we're in this hyper growth mode. Uh, and we really want to uh, keep growing from a customer base perspective versus necessarily optimize for uh, profitability at this point. He is a serial entrepreneur, former associate partner at McKinsey & Company, and his new venture, Reonomy, seeks to democratize the world of commercial real estate by making all the relevant data transparent, bringing real estate information and data into the 21st century in line with other capital markets. Richard Sarkis, thanks for joining us. By the way, if you have comments about the show or suggestions for topics, please email me at a closer look at Bloomberg.net. That's a closer look, one word, at Bloomberg.net. And follow me on Twitter at Arthur Levitt. This is a closer look with Arthur Levitt. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.